Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is Haven Robinson. Hi Haven, how are you? Hi Ash, am I? How's it going? You alright? Not too bad. Uh, how are you finding lockdown? Uh, alright, you know, not too bad. Uh, I think we're just having to kind of muddle through really, do you know what I mean? Uh, but trying to keep busy. Um, but yeah, there's a part of me that's really enjoying this kind of slightly slowed down pace to life. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So yeah, ups and downs, I guess, like everybody else. I I think yeah, we have like I have good days and bad days. There are days where I'm loving it, and there are the days where I just feel oh, I wish this could be over now. But I think everyone's got to find their own way of of dealing with it, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's I think it's really healthy to acknowledge when we're not feeling great. Mm. Do you know, I think it, and it's normal not to feel great during these kind of extreme situations. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think I think, yeah. And, and also acknowledging the really good days when we're feeling OK. Yeah. <laughs> and that it's OK to feel OK, even though there's a pandemic going on. It's fine to be <sighs> enjoying. Do you know what I mean? Oh my gosh, yeah, there, yeah. There's nothing worse than feeling guilty about enjoying yourself. Yeah. or yeah, absolutely. I I wanted to start by asking you same question I ask everyone to start off with. Um, how did you first get interested in the arts as a young person? Oh, that's uh, a really interesting question because I guess with the arts. That, that just means create, being creative, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And yeah, I think I've always been really, really creative. And I think, thinking back, I think I attribute it now to being really shy as a child. I was like painfully shy. Um, and I think in particular, uh, at a very young age, I loved art and I did a lot of artwork and drawing and painting and that kind of creating. Um, and I think it was a way of expressing myself without having to you know, like use really scary words. <laughs> yeah. And make eye contact with people. <laughs> um, and then I think as I got older, I I then managed to make you know human interactions a little bit less awkward. Uh, and I got into music, um, and and I still really enjoy kind of like dabbling in songwriting and playing piano. Um, but the theatre side of it which interestingly is the kind of last thing I came to, um, even though I had access to it, you know, as a child going to 
like pantomimes with the parents yeah. and things. Um, but I, I didn't really get into theatre until probably end of school, like year 11 or something. Nice. Um, and that was simply just one of these, you know, these moments you look back and you think, ah, my life could have been so different. Yeah. This was one of those moments where you just, I remember being in school and my friend, she she mentioned that the local youth theatre were looking for boys to uh, join the cast because they were a bit short and they were doing uh, like the school edition of Les Mis okay. at, at Lyric Theatre in Carmarthen. A shout out, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I for, for something, and I don't know what, because bearing in mind I was still quite a shy person, just went for it. Yeah. Um, and that completely changed my life. That one moment, that one decision, and from there, uh, theatre became the number one thing, and everything else kind of fell back. So it was kind of like an instantaneous thing where, in doing it, you knew. And you felt, oh, this is where I feel comfortable. This is what I want to do, kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I think, do you know what's interesting is, I mentioned that I went, I, I was interested in being creative because it allowed me to kind of express myself uh, as, a, as, a, as an introvert. But actually, the thing that made theatre different was the fact that actually it's not that. It's a really... Uh, shared experience and it's about like it, without sounding cheesy there's a there's a family unit in theater it's yeah. much more collaborative and i think that instant realization that all these people are in the room creating something together all of them doing different things um but aiming towards the same thing and aiming towards something brilliant but hopefully yeah. that was yeah that was the thing i think that was the magic moment did it, did it help as well that you were portraying a character on stage? That it wasn't you putting yourself out there? That you had this... Do you know that you had this character that you could embody? Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what. My sailor number three in Liv is, in that production in Lyric Martin, was a sight to be seen. <laughs> no, no, you know, there is something about, ironically, as a writer now, but there is something about someone else giving you the words to say. Um, yeah. Because it does take the pressure off. Uh, like now, trying to sound interesting or clever or funny. or yeah. Mm. Uh, and how did you start writing? Oh, um, I had a really, really good uh, couple of Welsh teachers, actually. I went to a Welsh language school, um, a school Promarthin in Carmarthen. And in general, the Welsh department were particularly good. And mm. uh, two of the teachers, I will shout them out, Dr. Jones and Mrs. Envis Davis, they were um, so encouraging and so, um, what's the word? They believed in you. They, they absolutely believed yeah. in your voice. Um, and they encouraged me to write. And they encouraged me to write in the way that I wanted to write, not the way that maybe... I'd been taught to write in the past, um, and they kind of saw something in in that voice that was a bit different. Um, so it's their encouragement, and and you know, and I remember when, <laughs> I remember once uh, Dr. Jones she sent off one of my short stories sneakily without telling me to uh, like mm. a local Eisteddfod, 
And then she calls me in one lunchtime and tells me that I've won this kind of award, <laughs> which is great. Uh, mm. So yeah, I've got a few of these little mini, mini miniature chairs and things like that. Yeah. Uh, which are great, and, but that gave me really kind of confidence mm. in trusting my voice, uh, which was lovely. Would you think young writers need that confidence to be able to say, no, actually, I can do this, and I do believe in what I'm creating, rather yeah. than worrying about what other people are going to think of your work and being nervous about that? And, and linguistically... Did you feel more comfortable writing in Welsh than you did in English? Yeah, at that point, definitely, because, well, I suppose at that point I was, what, 17, 18? Mm. Um, I, you know, my life was, my home language was Welsh, my school language was Welsh, so um, so I didn't really speak much English. I <laughs> <laughs> um, had, you know, a few friends from, uh, from other schools and things, um, so yeah, absolutely. Welsh uh, is and was then my first language. So that was my mm. main tool for expressing myself. Yeah. Which would then just comes naturally. You don't have, you don't have to think about it, I suppose. And and you went to Aberystwyth University. Did you study drama there? I did, yes, I did study drama at Aberystwyth, and again, it was a really last-minute decision. As I say, this this whole kind of turn towards theatre was so kind of sudden right. that I, I remember applying for universities, and I think I had like a fifty-fifty split of music and drama courses, and it was it came down to like the deadline to picking to which one I chose. It was almost like an eeny meeny. <sighs> Um, and I just went with drama for, again, like a gut thing that propelled me towards that. Um, so I went to ABBA, um, which was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant course. Um, I was really drawn to it because it was very, very practical. Um, I'm not great with academia and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, and, and so I was really drawn to the fact that that course in ABBA at the time was just kind of really hands-on, really practical, mm. making theatre and putting it in front of audiences. Um, yeah, Aberystwyth. And I had the best three years, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Absolute uh, meal of a time. Uh, both, both within the course and out, outside, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, absolutely brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant three years. Do you, do you think it prepared you for life in the industry? I think it did, you know, because as I say, I think particularly that third year, it was very much a uh, practical year. So you would rehearse a play for six weeks, then put it on, then have a break, then do the same thing again. And that was the year, which is essentially giving you like a professional rehearsal yeah. uh, experience. And, and obviously the, the tutors and the directors were professional practitioners within the industry. Um, and so you kind of left with with a really good grasp of how you behave in the industry, mm. if nothing else. Um, so going into the theatre world, you, you weren't going in uh, with these kind of blinkers or this kind of naive idea of what the, the, the theatre world is like, do you know? Um, yeah. It gives you a sense of, like, realism. This is what to expect. 
So I guess there wasn't so much of a shock after you graduated as to that thing of what do I do now or where do I go now? That's kind of thing. You yeah. had stuff to fall back on that you could put in place and use at the start of your career after graduating. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it gave you a toolbox of a, a, a number of things. So, you know, it, it gave me, a, I, I knew, you know, it gave you a, a footing in Shakespeare, it gave you a footing in uh, contemporary text, but it also gave you a, a, a kind of a whole toolbox in devising theatre and all that. So yeah. it gives you multiple uh, things to fall back on, I guess. Yeah. Mm. And I want to ask you about your writing process. Is it the same with every piece you work on, or does it vary depending on the project? Or do you have a process? Because I, uh, <laughs> I tried to answer this question, and I thought, is this a ridiculous question that I'm put into here if I can't answer it myself? You know. What I mean? <laughs> yeah. Did Did you come to a, a a kind of answer in the end? I I think it's almost like for me it always starts with character. Who are the characters? What are their lives like? And what do they want? And then build the world around that. In the main, is that? Would you say that's similar for you? Um, yeah, I suppose, yeah, the characters are, in, I, I suppose the characters would be linked to what I would call the story, which is, mm. I suppose that's always the starting point, is what's, what story do I want to tell? Um, or what story do I feel compelled to tell right now? Um, and I, I, I suppose, yeah, in that is, whose story am I telling? Um, uh, but yeah, I think I think process is probably that that to be honest that word brings me out in a freaking rush. <laughs> it makes it sound really um, scientific, doesn't it? Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know if a process, but um, I I think I I approach every project differently um, because every project has different uh, I suppose different uh, certain kind of elements that you need to fulfill yeah. uh, to make it sound really boring. <laughs> um, so, yeah, usually with a personal project, if I'm just writing something off my own back, I kind of just jump in uh, without thinking too much about it and just start writing a scene or a bit of dialogue with a couple of characters and seeing where that takes us. How much do you know at that, that point, like... Sometimes I I will know nothing. Sometimes I will just know that there are four people in the room, and they can't get out of the room, and that is it. Right. <laughs> and maybe something's happened outside of the room, but I don't know what's happened. But they don't want to go back out because whatever happened outside the room is not a particularly great thing. Or certainly yeah. at this point, they don't perceive it as. It? Do you know what I mean? So it's, yeah, I do. Yeah, it's just. It's, it's in one sense, it's really really clear dramatically and in terms of intention but also in terms of detail you know who knows what's, what's going on uh, and then from that you can develop specific uh intentions and conflicts that stem from that that kind of condition that you place on the characters at the start i guess yeah i think i think absolutely and i think 
by putting those characters in that position from the beginning, those characters start to react in different ways, because as or every individual would, and it kind of uh, you start to see characters behaving in ways that you maybe wouldn't have planned for them to behave mm-hmm. in those situations if you were just plotting out uh, their story um, in a more kind of set kind of way. Yes. Um, I know I, you often hear writers talking about letting your character uh, roam or speak, mm. and I always think that sounds a bit <laughs> a bit pretentious or a bit kind of arty-farty, but there is something there about giving your characters freedom to explore mm. and, and finding that unexpected, uh, the unexpected fun in that. Um, but then other projects... Uh, will be really clearly mapped out. I'll write treatment, I'll write uh, a, a really clear kind of character breakdown. I'll know exactly what happens in every scene yeah. and what each moment and each kind of story point is. So, um, yeah, it, it depends completely on, on what the project is asking for, really, I suppose. Yeah, and, and who you're working for, who you're writing it for, and what the conditions of that particular company or... Um, what they need, I suppose. Yeah, and that can be really fun sometimes if you know who the actors are beforehand. That's mm. really exciting because you can absolutely write for the strengths <laughs> of those individuals. Yeah. Even if you know that you're performing in uh, or you're writing for, uh, you know, somewhere like the other room, for example, mm. which is a, a really small space, that's really fun to know that you're writing for that space before you start, as mm. opposed to writing for, I don't know, the Sherman stage. You know, they're very different spaces, so you're going to be writing something very different. And I think if you know that before you set off, I think that's um, that's really helpful. And you can play with that space, especially if it's in, like, the other room. You can have fun with it. You can yeah. exploit it. You can think, how can I use this in a different way? How can I make this interesting and embed that within yeah. the play? Absolutely, and I think sometimes you know the smallest spaces can actually be the most uh, versatile. I think somewhere mm. like the other room is a brilliant example of how you can turn that space into any kind of world you want. Um, yeah, and that's for a writer um, in the same way as for a director or a designer. Uh, it, it's so exciting, <laughs> you know. It's Absolutely, yeah. Possibilities, even more so than just a kind of end on proscenium like the main stage of the show I guess yeah, yeah. Um, and that's fun I think that's exciting um, but mm. also you know there's fun in writing to a prosage uh, audience and and then playing with that what are the conventions and can we break those conventions or can we change and what, the audience you know and what are their expectations and how can you defy those expectations or expectations does a human audience have, for example, um, that are different from uh, other room audience? And how do you defy those expectations while also kind of thinking about your play and where it fits, I guess? Yeah, and I think there's a, that's always, uh, as a writer, you're always finding that balance between uh, telling your story in a really... Uh, or giving your characters a really fair voice and giving them a, a chance to 
breathe and to speak, but also giving the audience a really fun, unexpected, challenging, uh, entertaining yeah. whatever time. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I'd like to move on, just briefly. Uh, you worked with the RSC in Stratford. Was that a, as an actor? No, no, it wasn't actually. I, um, yeah, a couple of years after gradu- I graduated and then I did a couple of years of like uh, acting, like TIE type acting, right. you know, that kind of driving the van, putting the set up, <laughs> doing kind of two or three shows a day type thing. Um, and I got fed up with that quite quickly. Um, and so I, I just, for some reason, I just saw a job for ushers at the RSE in Stratford. And I thought, oh, I'll just go for it. Um, and so I just moved up there. And yeah. um, I spent a few years there just, yeah, working uh, as an usher and in the box office. But it was just the best two or three years because mm. it, the things I saw <laughs> working there um, well, like nothing I'd ever seen before, you know. Um, and I was really lucky. I, you know, I'd studied all these people like John Barton and Peter Hall and Cicely Berry at, at Bristwith, and then suddenly, you know, Cicely Berry is there in the room mm. doing a workshop with some kids, uh, <laughs> uh, effing and blinding like she used to do, and uh, it was incredible because you're suddenly these things that you've read in a book or you've been taught, yeah. you know, you're seeing them. Um, and that was, you know, that's priceless. And the fact that, you know, I was quite cheeky and I was able to sit in on rehearsals and things and see how things worked and different departments. And, you know, they were some of the productions there, you know, and as, as an usher, I suppose there's so many people in theatre who have worked as ushers and you'll see a production maybe 15, 20 times during a run, if not longer. And there's something really interesting about seeing a production multiple times. You learn a lot about the craft of making theatre, the craft of performing, and also about narrative. You know, you watch mm. Macbeth 30 times, and you've by the end, you've really worked out the structure of that play. You know exactly how Shakespeare is telling that story and what, what he's doing with each character at each moment. What um, the relationships are, how they kind of... Uh, play off one another, I guess, and what each scene does, and, and the dramatic function of each scene, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what's interesting is you, you then start to notice how, why certain scenes really work in front of an audience, mm-hmm. and then there might be another scene that just completely falls flat in front of an audience, and it happens every single night, and you just think, ah, there's something about either the way that's written or the way that's been directed. Yeah. Um, and by seeing it over and over and over, you can start to spot these little patterns about well, what is it that's causing problems here for an audience, um, which I think subconsciously has stayed with me, you know, as I've, as I've gone into writing. Um, and now that's, yeah, that time at the RSC was, it was just, ah, just to experience that, Mm. caliber of stuff um, and it was a really exciting time it was back when Michael Boyd was artistic director um, and there was like a, it was like a, they had a thing called the long ensemble which was essentially like a rep company which is really exciting um, and they had we had the world Shakespeare festival on during that period the 50th anniversary was on so they were creating all this brilliant work and you had the likes of like Rupert Gould was in there a lot doing work and um, 
you had people then coming in, like um, I remember Tim Crouch coming in and doing his kind of solo Shakespeare shows, which that was one of those things that led me down then a different route completely. Yeah. Um, it's you know in seeing that kind of work and, and, and the way he played with audiences and new writing. Um, yeah, it just sparked so many things. I think that's what was exciting about that period. Uh, and to be in the middle of it, to have it kind of. That inspire you to want to make work of that yeah. quality, I guess, in the field yeah. of new writing. If if that can be done with classical work, you know, then the potential of new writing, um, it must be even bigger than. I suppose that's what you took from it in a way. Yeah. Well, I you know I I love Shakespeare. But they are like 400 and whatever years old. Yeah. And the fact that they can still excite an audience Seems is fascinating, terrible. isn't it? But it's, but it's also exciting to think that if Shakespeare's writing now, they'd be a completely different place. They would be, and he'd be yeah. He'd be saying completely different things, even if those universal themes are the same. And mm. so you know, that's, that's really exciting what you say about, uh, about this idea of, well, yeah, new writing is far more relevant, actually, than uh, a story about a merchant in uh, some city in Italy who's... Yeah. So, you know, it's... So, um, yeah, I think the, the, the potential of new writing really shone in that mm. kind of setting. And they do lots of new writing at the RSC as well, of course. Um, yeah. Um, even if it gave me a completely kind of skewed idea of me writing, because given the kind of the budgets and stuff they have yeah. there, it's... Uh, and, uh, and in terms of that, uh, how difficult did you find it to break into the industry, let, let's say in Wales, as a writer? And were there enough opportunities for you? Um, that's a really good question. I suppose, I suppose I'm going to say, like, probably every writer out there uh, there are definitely not enough no. uh, opportunities <laughs> um, I don't think anyone can sit on the fence <laughs> about that um, there are some brilliant companies out there doing some brilliant things and engaging with new writers but there's always room for more um, uh, and there's been lots of debate about that so I don't, I'm going to stay <laughs> stay away from uh, that yeah, thank you. But, uh, but I'm you know I I was lucky going in because I I'm bilingual, and I think mm. in Wales as a as a Welsh and English speaking writer, that is a gold dust. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So valuable as you as as I'm sure you um yeah kind of, you've seen as well. This this uh it just opens another a brand new door and there's a new a new room suddenly that you can look into. Mm. But for me, it was always a confidence thing. Because I had this kind of impression of Welsh language theatre that it was had to be correct Welsh and that it was apart from South, it was all kind of socially conservative plays written by middle aged white men, you know. So that's what kind of um, until I hear the view and your stuff, that that's what kind of turned me away from Welsh language theatre. But now I'm kind of trying to embrace it more. And I think, I'm talking about myself again, sorry. But like, I think I've got more, just over the last kind of six months, 
I've got more confident in my voice in Welsh than I ever have been. I think it's a lot about confidence. Oh, massively. And I'm so, so pleased to hear that because I think, I think obviously the Welsh language comes with a, a massive baggage and there's political stuff mm-hmm. and there's, there's a, you know, there's kind of centuries and centuries of stuff that is just hanging on. But yeah. Um, I think, yeah, if you look at someone like Dav James and you look at, um, you know, in fact, I think, yeah, I think Tullowith was the last thing I saw before lockdown. You were um, so lucky to see that. Which, uh, <laughs> I know, I think everybody felt a bit smug in Cardiff, which, uh, which is not new. Let's make it in Cardiff. But, uh, um, yeah, and I think, I think, I ho- hopefully, the writers like Dav are showing that you don't, you don't need to be this uh, poetic, uh, you know, Taliesin-esque mm. kind of um, orator in Welsh. You can just, just like in English, yeah. just write the way you speak. That's the beauty of theatre. That's the beauty of script writing is it doesn't have to be perfect in terms of grammar or oh. anything because it's people don't speak perfectly, <laughs> you know. Um, and absolutely in the Welsh language, it's an evolving language and... You know, certainly when I speak in when I write in the Welsh language, there's a big percentage of it which is uh, English, mm. because I naturally yeah. speak a bit Wenglishy, um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think, uh, from my experience, a lot of the Welsh language companies now are embracing that, um, and they're finding that balance. I think between, I suppose it's difficult because it's quite it's a, a really broad audience. Um, and you have to appeal to everybody yeah. with quite a small body of work. Um, but I think they're finding that balance between doing this stuff that is uh, much more challenging and much more contemporary in the in its use of language, mm. but also giving people that more kind of, uh, what's the word, like just more, not traditional, but uh, uh, a kind of more <clears throat> BBC Welsh kind of I know <laughs> you. Yeah. standard of Welsh, then, mm. I should say. Um, yeah, but I'm glad. I'm glad you've um, you're, you're finding confidence in that because I think we need we need more writers and more voices in the Welsh language. Yeah, I, I certainly I want to develop. It's not there yet. I've got a piece which needs a lot of work, but I think it's got potential. But yeah, it's something I want to work on. And, and what was the experience like of winning the Vedal Drama at the Oisterwald Genedaitel? Especially after coming second and third in previous years. So was, yeah. that, was that with the same play or different plays? They were all different plays, actually. Yeah, three completely different plays. The first one, yeah, I came third the first time I entered. And that was the first ever play I wrote. Like right. a full, you know, like a full-length play. Um, and then, yeah, the next year I came second with a brand new play. And then I wrote a third play the, the third year. <laughs> Um, which then won it, which is ridiculous. I don't know how that, how that happened. Um, it's quite nice. There's something quite um, tidy about that. Um, but it was a great experience. You know, I I, I really, really value the Eisteddfod and that element of our culture. And I, mm. I'm really, really grateful as a Welsh speaker that I have that as part of my culture. Um, you know, the, the nature of that competition is that you send in a play and then three 
industry professionals will read it and then no matter what they will give you feedback and they'll give you uh, an adjudication and that's so valuable do you know what I mean yeah. and, uh, as we've said before there aren't that many opportunities particularly in the Welsh language um, but even in the English language in Wales to just submit a play and then get feedback mm. Dra- dramaturgical support is so hard to come by like any script editing, any dramaturgical support, unless you're a commissioned writer you, or you ask a friend to do it as a favour, you know, you're not going to get that in Wales, really. No, it, it, to the point, do you know what, I think, not that it matters, but I don't think I'd even heard of dramaturgy until about three years ago. <laughs> do you know, it's such a... A non thing at the moment in Wales. We just don't. It doesn't exist. <laughs> no. um, it's really bizarre. But um, yeah, I certainly when I started writing, I had I that idea, that concept of um, someone working with you to help develop a script and mm. find the way to tell your story is uh, was completely. I didn't even know existed actually. Well. Um, Hopefully we'll have more of that in the coming years. You know, yeah. with this literary manager post that the chairman have installed. Hopefully that'll improve things. Yeah, that's really exciting. That's, mm. that's like a massive... That, potentially that's a huge kind of landmark moment for kind of new writing in Wales, yeah. actually. Um, and yeah, I really, really hope that's... They, they, seek, they get, um, you know, value from that. Um, which I'm sure they will because it's it's a brilliant move and I think it's yeah. really exciting. Um, I'd like to talk about Estron now. Um, you know, for someone like me who didn't unfortunately get to see the play, which I'm guessing what? about. No, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Um, so what's, what's the play about? Oh. Um, really simply, it's about a young person who um, loses a parent and that the process of uh, coming to terms with the world I suppose following the death of a, of, of a parent mm-hmm. uh, that's really simply what it is um, it's a it's a weird play because nothing really happens in it <laughs> um, but it's yeah it's about that and it's about one character's relationship specifically with his sister and also with a extraterrestrial being right um, and it's the way he deals with his grief uh, and the relationship between this kind of weird science fiction element and a real kind of real human uh, element um, so yeah it's a funny old play uh, <laughs> how did how did you come to write it um, do you know what I think I remember reading a quote from, I think it was Alistair McDowell, you know, the playwright? Yeah. Uh, and it was some, he, he was doing an article or an interview in, in some newspaper and he, one of the things he said was that what he liked about theatre was that anything is possible, which I, and I loved that and I kind of latched on to that. And I think it was directly in, re- in kind of reaction to that quote that, I thought, I want to write a scene where a human being speaks to a, a white sphere, 
which ended up being this extraterrestrial character, which was just this glowing white sphere. <laughs> um, and that's where it came from. So again, it was, like I said earlier on, it was initially just this moment between two characters of mm. a different, uh, different, uh, what is it? A different, not a different race, different, uh, different uh, species. Species, I don't, I don't know how you define but, uh, that. But. <laughs> where it came from and, and then I, and then you start asking the question well why is this character turning to a, a an object to start mm. uh, and, and then that came that came, that's where it came from um and and initially it was going to be a play about uh, just loneliness and this kind of modern loneliness we mm. have um and then smack bang in the middle of writing it um i happened to lose my mum which was pretty like you know big <laughs> and um and so it kind of just uh, to be honest the writing stopped like yeah, everything of course. you know and, yeah. um, and so yeah your your life completely changes mm. um something like you know when when that happens i think um yeah your your complete your viewpoint on the world is is changed forever you know um mm. and and in Estron, actually, he, he talks a lot about earthquakes, about this weird earthquake that happens on the day of his mother's funeral. Mm. And there's, some, there's something about that uh, grief being like an earthquake, this extreme earthquake where it, the world shakes and it settles in a different form when it comes back. Um, yeah. And so a, play, a, a really familiar place is now completely different. Um, yeah. So I went back to that play then, probably about... You know, uh, months and months and months later, maybe a year mm. even, um, and suddenly it was really, really clear what that story was and what that character was going through, and why that character would be turning to um, a white sphere from the other side of the universe for 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 help in in dealing with life and the world. To cling on to something just to find something, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, to find uh, ra- rationalizing the world, I suppose, and, and and Estron looks at that in in different ways. It looks at it from a really human, uh, emotional level, but it also mm. looks at it from a really scientific level of the I fact see. that we are just uh, kind of uh, like uh, what's his name in um, constellations. What's his name? Nick Payne talks about yeah. a lot in that play about the fact that we're just we're just um, bits of science (laughs) yeah and and we're made of little bits of atoms and and those atoms form a planet and then um and it's about yeah just coming to terms with yeah a a new world Mm. a different world to the one that was before was that quite therapeutic for you uh massively yeah i think that was that was my big uh therapy moment I think with the with dealing you know one of those moments um and as it happens one of the other things I really really I kind of weirdly when my mum died uh, I just immediately started listening to loads of David Bowie which is strange because I, I love Bowie and he's one of my favorite artists but I became this kind of slightly fanatic about it and I was just just listening to his back yeah. over and over for months and then and then 
not. About six months after my mum died, David Bowie died. Right. Which was then this like, really weird thing again, because I yeah. think, oh my God, okay, so I've turned to David Bowie to help me deal with this, and now he's bloody he's gone. gone. Yeah. But, yeah, and so David Bowie actually ended up being a big part of the play, um, which unfortunately we had to cut, because, <sighs> because it was staged at the Estethavod, and they've got this Welsh language rule, so we had to cut all oh. kind of David Bowie stuff, which is gutting. I mean, um, could you not have translated the songs like I tried to translate it? Yeah, we probably could. I think we maybe could have. Um, I, don't, I don't know. We'd, it would have probably been quite complicated in terms of rights and stuff as well. And I know, um, I think Theatre Gang Fair Play, they, they worked really hard to try and mm. find some way of doing it. But in the end, we just couldn't, um, which is a shame. Um, but um, but yeah, there was, so it was really interesting how I, I kind of used writing and David Bowie and then combined combined them in this play. Yeah. And then um, yeah, and then in the play actually, it's I mentioned is a thought I remember having of I just love this idea that now somewhere somewhere in the ether. Yes. My mom. And David Bowie are in this like incredible party, having the best time ever. Do you know what I mean? They, they exist. Yeah. Together just... through your play. Almost. Yeah, it's weird. Through your it? play, you brought them together. Yeah, yeah. I suppose I hadn't thought about it like that. But yeah, yeah. It's um. Mm. So it's a, it's an interesting play. I look back at it now because it was. I suppose it was a really turbulent time in my life. Yeah. So I look back at it now. Um. And it's a really messy play, and I if I went if I look went back now, I'd completely change most of it probably. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, and it you know the, and the in all fairness the uh, reaction to it was really mixed. Some people really really loved it um, to the point where they came back multiple times, but then equally some people absolutely hated it. <laughs> but do you know what? Isn't that what art's about? I think it's gonna if everyone loves it. What's the point? You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, hope you don't mind me moving on, just because I've got a couple more things yeah, that I want to put in for the end. Um, you wrote the hijinks Christmas show, the curious muchness of stuff and nonsense. Uh, what, what were the challenges of writing for learning disabled actors, and how did this collaboration come out? So the collaboration came about after working with Mess Up the Mess Theatre Company, actually. Um, I worked with them on a project called Nowhere. And uh, having worked with them for a while, um, I think someone from Mess Up the Mess recommended me then to John, who is the kind of the community person at Hijinks. John David Kidd, yeah? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and so John was looking at the time to uh, commission a new writer to write, or not a new writer, commission a writer to write the community Christmas show for Hijinks Odyssey. Um, and and yeah, they just re- happened to just recommend me. I was working with them at the time, and yeah, uh, for whatever reason, they must have liked me or something. I don't know. Uh, and so so yeah, so that's how it came about. Um, so it's just one of those 
you know, they'd say that everybody knows everybody in this industry, and they're kind of true, which is sad, really. So it yeah. worked in that sense for me, and um, and so yeah, I, I I kind of it was an interesting writing process because um, the way they'd always done it is, and the way we did it, which is a brilliant, brilliant way of working, is that I go into the sessions mm. and. Uh, we just play basically. The participants of Odyssey just uh, play around with the ideas. So uh, that show was based loosely on Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. So we just gave them characters or settings and then let them loose. And so this play then becomes, even though I'm writing it, a lot of the content comes from them, which is really, really important. And that was the joy of that project was. Um, just incredibly like, funny and clever and profound stuff that was coming from yeah. them. So um, you're, you're collating all this material. Yeah. So and, they're producing the material and you've got to formulate it into some sort of a structure. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, essentially, yeah. So they might they might just come up with uh, a place. So one of, the, mm. one of the groups came up with this place called Logic City which was a, a, a brand new location in Wonderland. Yeah. And that became, we loved this idea of the logic city, this place where everything is logical and everything has to follow certain rules and uh, regulations and all this. Um, and so we just chucked logic city into it. You know, so sometimes it was that easy or sometimes they'd come up with a, a different version of a certain character. Yeah. So they, they came up with this idea that the Mad Hatter has multiple hats depending on his mood. Oh, that's nice. Changes his mood, and and so it's a case then of writing that in, and it became a thing of, I wrote it in the end so that when he's angry, he's seeing red, so because he's wearing yeah. the red hat, so then he has to put on um, the blue hat. But then obviously when he's wearing, he's wearing the blue hat, he's feeling blue. Yeah. So and so it's, it's the ideas come from them, and it's just a, oh, finding a way of putting it into a script, I suppose. And and um, did did you find that challenging, or was it something that was really exciting for you? It was really fun. I just, I just had a wheel of a time working on it. Actually, it was it was just a joy from beginning to end. Um, and and writing for them that's really interesting. I'd never written that in in that way before. In the sense that we cast it before I wrote the script. Mm. So so I had I'd written a treatment and then I wrote all the we knew all the characters and then we yeah as I said we cast the characters and then I went off to write it. So I was able to write for the specific actors and obviously as you say working with learning disabled actors there's a really specific skill set and everybody yeah. has a different set of strengths and so the joy of writing like that is that you can write each character to the strength of that actor and mm -hmm. hopefully let them shine and bring out their personality yeah um, and i hope i hope we achieved that um yeah i hope i did <laughs> um yeah, I, I, I didn't see the show, but I cared a lot about it. Oh, so, another one! Come on! <laughs> I, I haven't seen any of your work apart from, uh, <laughs> apart, apart from nowhere. <laughs> really should get to more your place, I mean. No, I'm, I'm literally joking. I was joking. <laughs> I mean, you weren't, but, <laughs> but um, finally. Just to finish off, I want to ask you what advice would you give to someone starting out or maybe what advice would you have given to yourself when you were 
starting out to think about a career in theatre? I would say, as a writer, I would say probably exactly the same thing as my Welsh teacher said to me, which was, um, and it sounds really stereotypical, but just be yourself. And uh, more importantly, write what you want to write in the way you want to write it. Don't try and second guess. Don't try and... Uh, just because you think this subject is popular at the moment, don't write that. Don't because write. That's not, you know. Don't write for anybody else. Write Absolutely. You. Tell the story that you want to tell, um, and embrace that uniqueness. Because I think the thing, the thing that makes you different as a writer, is what will make you stand out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Stand, I agree with that. Stuff. Absolutely. And the other thing I would say, just in general, in the theatre industry, is just be nice. If I was going to yeah, give one nice. piece of advice, just be nice. <laughs> uh, it's so, so important. And I, I think... Um, people I people will be nice to you then, won't they? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, nobody wants to work with someone who's difficult to work with. No. You know, and I think, as I said before, uh, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, Everybody knows everybody in this industry, and if you're not if you're not nice to work with, that will soon get known, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think just just be yourself, be friendly and nice and kind, uh, which is probably what the world needs anyway right now. So um, definitely. Thank you, Hibbert. It's been lovely talking to you. Oh, thank you, Dr. Bauer. Uh, um, it's really lovely, actually. Yeah. So uh, we look forward to speaking to you for the next episode of In Lockdown With. Not sure who the guest is going to be, but see you then. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.